Hello, hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to your Guide to Love podcast. I'm Haley Hilveston. This podcast is all about holistic health, sacred sexuality, and spirituality. I have Dr. Jamini here, and she is a hormone fertility thyroid specialist. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, you're welcome. I love that you focus on those three because they're really important. They are, and I didn't mean to focus on those. That was not my plan when I was in medical school, but every single patient I would have, I realized every symptom has to do with your hormones, whether you're female or male. They're the messengers, right? They're the people mm -hmm. in the body that are talking and telling yourselves what to do. And then so many women have thyroid issues, not necessarily hypo or hyper, but in between there, something's not working right, whether it's their weight, whether it's their hair, whether it's their skin, whether it's their bowel movements, whether it's their mood. That would be where I struggled. And again, that's not something I wanted to focus on. But of course, fertility, you want your hormones and your thyroid to be optimal for both men and women. Wait, so why do we struggle so much with our thyroid? Very good question. And there's different countries. So I'm Persian. And when I was looking up all the research for thyroid, I started to see that there's so much of this research done in Iran. And same with hormones like PCOS. And I was like, why are there so many Iranian researchers looking at this? And what countries have the highest women with these symptoms? And there is an environmental factor. There is absolutely, I've had so many patients say, I lived in India. And then when I moved here, I started to have thyroid problems, or I lived in Africa and I moved to London. I have a patient right now, and then all my symptoms started. So you wonder, is it just the stress of moving, or is there more in their food, or in the water, or in the environment, things that we're breathing in? You know, how are our cows fed here if they're eating meat? How, how are, how's the dairy? You know, what's in our water supply? What's in the air that we're breathing in? We do know that chemicals and environmental toxins we call them endocrine disruptors disrupt your hormones right so there's definitely a location issue um i would say which there are countries like the scandinavian countries you know where their diet is cleaner they are moving all the time the air you know is is better they don't have as much of our issues um and then autoimmune disease so a lot of women actually have something called hashimoto's and that means that your own immune system is attacking your thyroid. That is also very common here in California, very common in Iran, and specifically it runs in the family. And I'm seeing just autoimmune disease in general is increasing for everyone. And that is, is a complex topic, but I, I do think, again, environment, what you eat. Some people can have gluten here. Sorry, they go to Europe, they go to Italy, they have like pasta and pizza and they're totally fine. And then they come here and they have diarrhea, they get skin rashes, they have eczema, they don't feel well, they're bloated, um, their hair, you know, it, it absolutely affects you. So it's also about the quality of the food. Okay, are you, so you're saying that America has worse quality food than European countries? Yeah. I am. <laughs> I am, but at the same time, there's um, the way we eat here. It's, you know, if you go to Italy, it's amazing. Like a lot of the families I lived with, they would go and get fresh produce for that day's meal, right? And it's very different here. We live in a lot more of the 24-hour available convenience, fast food, fast life, fast pace, 
you know, everything is stocked in the fridge. If we don't, if we need anything, Grubhub, Postmates, what are all these services that basically deliver everything to you? In poor countries or in certain countries, this lifestyle isn't there. So it's not always about the food, it's the fast food life that we live here, you know, and they're the containers, they're all plastic, you know, how does, how do we get our food? If you order soup, if you order pho, if you have Starbucks, you know, it's all these chemicals, whereas like in Italy, it's in stainless steel, coffee, you know, it's actually fresh ground, there's no plastic, you know, so it's, it is different lifestyles, absolutely. And then PCOS, go into what that is again. Yeah, so that's when your ovaries, you're not supposed to have cysts in your little ovaries. Your ovaries are supposed to release eggs and you have one egg released. If it meets a sperm, you get pregnant and implants. And if it doesn't, then you have your period and you shed all that skin every month. However, some women, they don't have this one mature egg. They have all these tiny little follicles, which we call cysts in one ovary or two ovaries, like some women will have 25 cysts in the ovaries. Some women actually don't have any cysts, but they have high androgens, which means high testosterone, the male hormones. And they'll have acne, or they'll have hair loss, or they'll have obesity or insulin resistance, so they're kind of pre-diabetic. And this is very important, obviously, for fertility, because it can definitely make you unable to have children because you're not getting that one mature egg coming out. And often, unfortunately, what happens is when someone gets their period at 13 or 12 or 14, a lot of them actually have PCOS. They have long cycles. So that's one of the hallmarks. If, if your period is more than like 32, 33 days, and it comes like every 45 days or every 60 days, that could be a sign that you have PCOS. And what happens is they go to the doctor and what happens? They get put on the pill. So that is kind of our solution for everything, the pill. And then they come to me and they're 38, 39, and they just got off the pill and uh oh, our hormones aren't working. And they get that diagnosis and they're like, fix me. And it's like, wow, your system got shut off for all these years. And how do we expect, it's like telling a kid who's crying to like, just not talk, you know? We don't understand. We never asked, why did you have acne as, as a kid? Why did you have long periods? Why were your periods so crampy? Why did you PMS so bad? Why did you not grow breasts properly? Like, all these symptoms, all I'm trying to say is your body is telling you something is off. And nowadays, if you're a mom watching this or a grandma watching this, pay attention to the teenagers because that is a time we want to make changes. It's much easier to deal with it then than when you're 40 and you come to me and now you're, you can't get pregnant, right? And then you have to go through probably IVF, very expensive, very low success rate. And so PCOS is something I see a lot in younger women and they get put on the pill. They don't even know they have it, unfortunately. And it is semi-treatable. So we have success with herbs. There's a lot of research on certain herbs, certain diets, certain exercises. Like if you have high testosterone, HIIT training, you know, is amazing to burn up that testosterone. You might need to temporarily go on a more vegetarian diet, eat less meat that's inflammatory or add more fiber to your diet. So that's, that's PCS. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I ask that because I, I'm one of those girls you talked about. I don't know if I have PCOS, but yeah. I did get put on 
All my friends did too. We got put on birth control in high school. I did too. Yeah, but now I look back and I'm like, that's so crazy because one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I couldn't have an orgasm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, okay, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I was on birth control and then it made me depressed, so then I got put on antidepressant. Right? And then I just thought something's wrong with me. I was like, it must be me. Like something must be me because everyone else seems to be able to and I can't. So yeah, it, it messes with your head. And then yes, you get diagnosed as depressed or anxious. Yes. And so oh I got off all that a few years ago, but now I'm still yeah. wondering, um, like the sexual side effects, obviously I'm good with that now, but all the other stuff, how long yeah. does it take for you to like feel better with that? It depends. I mean, some people, it's not as bad. I always say as long as the longer you suppress and the longer you've had a symptom, whether it's suppressed or not, the longer it takes, you know, the body's been that way. It's harder sometimes to quickly change it, but some people are willing to change their lifestyle and do as I say, you know, and I asked them at the beginning, like, how willing are you to make changes? And I'm asking that because I want to know how successful will this relationship be because I'm not going to recommend for someone to go dairy free which is very important for PCOS if if they're like I'm never going to give up cheese so Dr. Mary don't even mention that you know and I'll say okay so it's it's like a dance you know I always have to know where they're at for some people gluten or other foods are inflammatory they're actually creating the immune system to attack the food thinking it's a bacteria when it's just a piece of tomato right some people have nightshade allergies and they don't even know. So I always find people who are not into this world, I'll just say, have you thought about cutting out dairy? And they're like, no. And they're like, could that have anything to do with this? Do you think? And I'm like, of course, let's just try it. You know, I don't even do a lot of those fancy food sensitivity tests that can cost like up to a thousand dollars. I tell you to remove it, see how you feel and then bring it back in see how you feel. Your body will tell you. So I did this when I was in medical school because I loved my morning lattes. And we had to, as a part of school, go off certain things and do an elimination diet is called. So for three weeks, you eat super clean, no eggs, no wheat, no alcohol, no coffee, no dairy. So it's a lot of fruits and vegetables. Um, I cut out bananas. Bananas can cause a lot of phlegm. They're very sticky. So if you have like post-nasal drip, you definitely want to look at bananas and dairy. Cut it out for three weeks, and I really missed crazy. I guess I grew up on milk. Our parents always gave us a glass of milk with food for calcium. So in my head, I thought that was a good thing for you. And in Iran, we had like actual goats. Like my grandma would go, you know, and actually milk the goat and give us fresh goat milk, like literally. <laughs> but it's very different here. And so when I went back on, literally I had to like run to the bathroom, excuse the graphics. But that's when I realized, oh my God, all this kind of irritable bowels that I've had, I thought it was related to stress and school. But it was, what was I, I, the thing I was putting in my body every day, you know, it's just a small amount. Even even one drop in your coffee can make your immune system create um, antigens. And so that's really important to pay attention. What am I putting in my body? And then find a substitute. So if you love cheese, let's find a different cheese, like maybe goat cheese or sheep cheese, you know, just not from a cow and see how you feel on that. So it's it's these little things you learn and then you make the shift so you're not deprived. You still wanna be able to go out and enjoy your friends and order at the restaurant and not be that 
crazy person that I used to be and say like everything on the side, I can't have this, I can't have that. <laughs> you know, you want to enjoy life. Mm, yeah, definitely. Wait, so are you dairy-free, gluten-free now? I, 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 I cannot do dairy. I mean, if I have cheese on my pizza, I pay for it. And sometimes I make that decision and it's okay. I don't have a chronic disease. However, if I had like MS or like, you know, I had like my limbs were losing muscles or something serious, like if I couldn't get pregnant, if I had Hashimoto's, which I did at that time, I did these therapeutic diets, we call it. So it's really like for PCOS, you might cut out meat, but it's not that meat is bad forever. Good quality meat, I always say, is actually really good for you. Mm -hmm. However, for someone who has issues with cysts in their ovaries, that might not be the case. So we look at the research. We say, what is research shown to be beneficial for this person who has this disease? So because I don't have a major chronic issue, I freely can have a little bit of everything in moderation. But usually it upsets my stomach, you know? But if it was to the point of, let's say I have bloody stools or hemorrhoids or something awful, I would hope that I would say it's not worth it. The pain has to always be more than the pleasure. Otherwise, we don't change. So, you know, I love when Tony Robbins said that. It totally made sense to me. I'm like, that's it. That's why my patients don't make the change, even with alcohol, even with any drug, any addiction, sugar, mm -hmm. right? Because you're like, what's, what's the harm? So I eat a little bit of ice cream and maybe I get a little gassy. Big deal, right? It's not very painful to you. But when you have a diagnosis of cancer and you're told you might not live longer than a year, oh, that's when most people start making the changes. And so I always say, don't wait till you have some crazy hard disease diagnosis that it's always a little too late at that time. Prevent mm. that from happening because we all have little cancer cells floating around. And we all have damage to our DNA. We all have toxins that we're breathing in every day and our body has to make antioxidants and try to clean it out all the time. So it's a choice. You think throughout a day, how am I serving and helping my body? And when did I take away from it? You know, and that's okay. It's okay to go for a little drink or have a nice cappuccino or have a pizza, have a slice. But if you're doing these things and you're sick, and you are adding more and more every day, just know that, know the consequence, just know that it's self-destructive and that's okay too. I'll ask my patients, do you love yourself? Like, do you want to be here? Do you want to live? And sometimes subconsciously, some people don't. Like life is painful, they're hurt. They have so much sadness from their childhood issues that they, have, they haven't resolved. And so this is their way of numbing that pain. And I've been there, you know, I, I would go to the fridge at nights when I felt sad and that was much easier than to have a good cry and scream into my pillow. I didn't want to cry, you know, I was sick of crying. But the ice cream was a lot easier and it would literally release dopamine. So that's what it does. When we eat these things that give us a little bit of pleasure or we go on our Instagram or we, we, we just do these little things, that's what dopamine is. That's what an addiction is. I always say like all the white sugars, cocaine, heroin, white sugar, cane sugar, they all do the same thing in the same place in the brain. They're all very addictive. So you have to see like, what is your drug of choice? What are you doing every day or every other day that if someone said, give this up, you'd be like, oh, and for some it's like coffee. That's it. You know, I, I'm doing a detox right now. And 
it was really hard for me, like mentally to tell myself, just don't drink it for three weeks, you know? And I had a really hard time getting off it this year, but I always try to every year let go of everything and not be attached to any habit. Mm. Man, you're speaking gold here. I, um, I love that though, because it's, it's people get so attached to things. It's like sexually when I tell women, you need to like lay off your vibrator. And then they're like, yes. no. <laughs> well, that's what my therapist said. She's like, well, no guy's going to be able to satisfy you like that. Of course you can't have an orgasm. <laughs> yeah. It's like. You're setting them up for failure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I love that you talk about this. It's so important because for us. Middle Eastern women, this is such a taboo subject, you know, like I was, I, I wasn't even allowed to go to my sex ed classes in high school. Like my dad signed a letter saying that she's not allowed. And I didn't know what sex was until like I was 18. Like it's embarrassing now thinking about it, but you know, I was not taught that it's good to pleasure yourself. And like many women, you know, mm -hmm. and it was bad. And then the spiritual side of me always went, well, then why did God put this here? Like, why do I have a clitoris? <laughs> you know, and it, it, it's taken many, many years. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of issues for many women of my descent or even non-Middle Easterners, you know? So I love that like, I'm talking about this, but I'm like, I hope my mom is not going to watch this. <laughs> so funny. Listen, I'm an open book about it now, but hey, I'm the same. I, I blocked my mom on Instagram. <laughs> but, but yeah, I totally, I'm so, I'm, listen, this is kind of like my dharma doing all this because yeah. I thought there was something wrong with me for years when I was not yeah. able to have an orgasm. And yeah. then when I finally figured out, um, I came like multiple times with a partner and scored it. And I was like, <gasps> Isn't it the best feeling? Because then you're like, it, it is the best. What's supposed to happen? This globally. <laughs> yeah, I remember telling my friends in uh, medical school, one of them, that hey, there's this new vibrator you can use. It works so well because I couldn't, right? And she's like, no, I don't need it. Like I'm, I'm good. And I was like, what do you mean you don't need it? Like, she's like, oh, I come very easily, like cervically, clitorally, oh, yeah. like all these different areas. And I was like, what? And I was like so envious. I'm like, oh. and I just couldn't. And th there was a relaxation factor. There was mm. many, many factors. Safety factor. I didn't feel safe. I had had later found out that I had been sexually abused as a mm -hmm. kid, and I totally had suppressed it and didn't go there and didn't want to talk about it. Didn't think it was bad. I actually thought it was like, oh, no, no big deal. And when I had a daughter, I started to have images of things happening to her. And that's when I, when I told my therapist, she's like, well, that is a clear sign that we need to go back to you. And that's probably why you can't orgasm. It's, it's a safety issue and it's a connection issue. And it's, it's taken a long time, but I remember going to the OBGYN and saying, can you just look and tell me if I have all the normal parts, even though I'm a doctor and I knew I physically thought, what if I'm like missing the clitoris? What if it's just something is wrong physically? <laughs> I still remember her face. She's like, Afros, there's nothing missing. The fact that you can with a vibrator is a sign that everything works great. <laughs> yeah. But you're so, good now though. Can you can you have an orgasm without it's a vibrator? Very difficult still. No, I mean really? I'm single right now, so <laughs> you think you're so in your head? I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's definitely, but even when I have a drink, if I have a glass of wine, if I have loosened up, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe I'm talking about this <laughs> publicly. Well, it's a but, day. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it, it is still difficult. But I guess I haven't been with that partner yet, or I haven't found my man, you know, but I've been told like, when you have that, you're in sync, then it will flow. But it's, it's, it takes a long time because I get in my head. I start thinking. I start thinking, is it going to happen? And then I'm a pleaser. So it's all about pleasing the other person. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, how many times have I faked it? Hello. You know, just, just so they can feel good about themselves. But then I realize, like, that is not authentic. That is not the way to do it. Because then I'm teaching them that this is good. This is what you should do. Yes. I don't know if you saw. I did a post on that the other day. Because then, oh, I love for that. me, then you become resentful. And you're like, F this dude. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's all important. I think that chakra, right? The, the reproductive organ, mm-hmm. sexuality, mm-hmm. it's all very important. And I've studied this in Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, you know, the emotions that are linked to organs. Why do some people have vaginal infections? Why do they have rectal issues? You know, what is that about? Is it emotionally? Is it mentally? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's always there, there's an equivalent for every physical symptom to an emotion or a mental issue. It's we're one, we're linked. So it's never accidentally that someone just, the body goes, oh, I'm just going to give you cysts in your ovaries, you know, because why? Or a fibroid or a breast tumor or headaches, migraines. Like there's always a reason why the body decides this is where I'm going to put the symptom to get her attention. And so, you know, chronic UTIs is a very, um, I see this often with women and especially after sexual intercourse. And it's very interesting. It's like, why? Why would you get an infection every time you have sex? You know, well, how come other people don't? And Mm -hmm. you do. So often we as doctors are trained to just look at the physical, the pH, there's bacteria there, the food they're eating. But from 13 years of hearing stories, there's always more to it. There's there's always a mental, emotional picture behind that. Mm, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, do you think the UTI thing is maybe that they're having sex out of obligation and maybe they didn't really want to do it and that's their body's sign of saying stop? There's always anger. I found with UTI, there's some sort of anger from the past, suppressed anger, sometimes even suppressed rage, a situation that should have made them angry or let's say they were betrayed, but they didn't. And this is just an example of a patient I had this week. So it's at the top of my head, but this, you have to take that person's story and somehow go, how is the story making sense? Because an infection is, it's, it's either it's angry, right? Mm -hmm. Like what happens when you have something's burning, burning is, is anger. And so you got to look at the symptoms and go, what is this? What's, what's the, you know, when we say irritable bowel, why do we say irritable? It's, it's very interesting. Like thyroid in my country, the actual word for thyroid is sorrow gland. So you know when you're about to cry, you get like that bogginess here, right here in your voice box. Why is mm-hmm. that? Like there's a lot of deep sadness or unexpressed sadness mm-hmm. or um, not speaking your truth. This is your voice box. So thyroid issues, you know, you, I look at that. That doesn't mean everyone has that, but I mean, I should write a book on all the thyroid women and their stories. And you will see that, yes, there is sadness there. And it's not that sadness is bad. It's that it was not expressed fully and let go and processed. 
And sometimes as kids, we don't have those tools. We don't have as children, teenagers, even adults, but it's all what we learn as a kid. You know, it's were the parents around, were they mindful, were they present, were they calm? Did they allow us to process if that kid teased us or if I had a patient the other day who watched uh, The Lion King when she was like five or six and saw, you know, Musafa die or the dad die. Mm-hmm. And she is right now 60 years old, panic attacks, her fear of death has all to do with watching Lion King. That's how it started. But she didn't have the tools to discuss or, you know, her parents probably didn't know to say that, no, this is what happened. So to her, she thought she put in her head that if someone dies, you become alone. So what happens now? Every relationship with a man doesn't turn out good. It's she self-sabotages because she has a belief that I don't deserve love. I need to be, I will be alone because someone died her dad died in the family. So it's very interesting. My point is there's, there's always a story that you can link back and see when did this start? When was the first time you had this emotion? Or for me as a doctor, it's very important to look at your timeline and say, when was the first symptom that you had? What was it? Did you start getting headaches? Did you start getting tummy aches as a kid? Did you get a lot of sore throats or strep throats? Did you get ear infections a lot, you know, and why? Like the body is telling you from the beginning what system is off. So if the gut is off and you've got food allergies and eczema and diarrhea and stomach aches, well, your gut is your nervous system, right? That's, that's anxiety, that's stress, that's unable to process and digest what's going on in life. And that's where 80% of your immune system is. So then you start seeing this as a person, as an adult, have allergies, an autoimmune disease. But it's all linked to what the body needed at the beginning. And it told you that I'm not doing well, so pay attention. But we often don't listen. We're not curious enough. We don't ask why. We just suppress. We go, okay, you have ADD, take Ritalin, calm down. You're too calm, you're depressed, take this, you know, and, and come back up. It's like we play God. We were just like these. Everyone I find sometimes it's like, oh, they're puppets. We just kind of throw a drug. And, you know, sometimes I do that because I have to. You know, it's mm-hmm. difficult. It's like if someone is suicidal, I absolutely, they need medication at that time until they're managed. But then I know what I'm doing. I know that there's an underneath layer that I have not addressed. I'm just suppressing temporarily. I'll stop there. No, no, no. Listen. Uh, you're saying some great stuff here. And I'm really glad that you said that point though, because I met a woman that was like, I'll be on the antidepressant till I die. And I just mm-hmm. think, no, like that's such a non yeah. mindset. Cause you're right. We do try to play God. And I remember for me going to my psychiatrist and I told her, I said, I'm not having an orgasm or something wrong with me. And she said, Oh, don't worry about it. We can just put you in another pill to counteract the side effects of that pill. And I remember being like, are you kidding me? <laughs> no. It's always a pill for a pill. That's our medical joke. Because yes. then you go on antidepressants, then you gain weight, and then we give you, you know, an appetite suppressant, and then you can't sleep, and we give you an insomnia medication. So it's it's just some people are, their philosophy of life is different. You know, I for I just am the kind of person that I would rather feel pain and know that I'm working on myself spiritually and growing because that's what I believe. 
but someone else might not believe that any pain is necessary. And they're here and they're like, I just want to enjoy life. I want to have fun all the time. Whereas I know that, no, that's not how it always is supposed to be. Yes, we want that up and down. There's, mm -hmm. there's Life is up and down. You're supposed to feel pain. You're supposed to get depressed when someone dies or you can't have an orgasm or whatever. You're supposed to feel like, mm -hmm. oh, this sucks. You know, and you might have a good cry, but to quickly label people, that's, that's the part I struggle with, with some of my colleagues and myself. I have to put an ICD code on everyone. I have to code you. I have to give you a name. I have to say this is an anxiety disorder. Whereas I'm like, I know why this patient is worried and she has a very legitimate reason to be worried, you know, but how are we addressing that worry? Giving her something that's just going to numb her out doesn't actually bring joy to her life. So most of the people I see when they're on antidepressants, it's like there's just a cloud over, but there's this, they don't get to really feel or see the colors like brightly, mm -hmm. you know, that we've taken that away from them. Whereas they might think that, no, this is better. And sometimes it is. So I, I listen to my patients, but I do try to just ask questions that will hopefully get them to realize, wait a second, what, why is it that I think this is what I want? I'm more interested in their motivation to stay on it, right? Because to mm -hmm. me, there must be so much pain without it that this is better. And so that's what I'm curious about is to get to know what are you like when you're not on it? What about that is so scary that you are saying, I will stay on it for the rest of my life. Like that's a big statement to make, right? It's not like for the next five years or 10 years, but when you say, make that kind of statement, there, there's the opposite. And if you get to know the opposite, then you, you will understand that person, you know? Mm. Yeah. I also think it's, it's, um, like people don't know what they don't know, right? So yeah. if you're on an antidepressant, you're right. control, you're on all this stuff. Maybe right. you don't know that you've never missed out on great sex or you're great right. health. You don't you know that ignorance is bliss. Absolutely, you're right. You're right. even with medications because sometimes as an authority, their doctor says, like PCOS, like the only option is the pill. There is no treatment for PCOS, for endometriosis, when people are dying of pain every month, like they're being stabbed to death, they will go on anything that doctor says, right? So when they're put on the pill, I get it. I would too, probably, if I didn't have this knowledge that there are other answers. There are things you can do. There are other things you can take that are safer. But when you don't know that, that is all you know and that's what you take and so often i find the consent just has to be there like if you put someone on the pill please please tell them that there are consequences there are side effects there is a very small chance but there is a chance that you will never get your period back and you can't have kids no one is ever told that there's this wow. big myth that there is no such thing as post pill amenorrhea which means after you get off the pill you won't get a period again. And I can't tell you how many patients I have currently and I've seen over the last 10 years who are so angry that they were on the pill for 10 years and now they're married, they got off the pill and they haven't had a period for three years and it's not working, it's shut down. So what do you do? What do you do in that case? As long as I think they had known, then they wouldn't be angry because they made that choice. So it's about consent. It's not that I'm anti-pill. It's just about tell them at least what it can do. And for, the, for our whole life, we're trying not to get pregnant, right? Like we're mm. like anti-sperm. 
And then all of a sudden we are like, we have this timeline when we want our mindset to switch from not wanting to get pregnant to get pregnant. And sometimes mentally that like disturbs people, you know, and the body has this belief of sperm is bad. They're worried every month, you know, I'm making sure because we have people who get pregnant on the pill, right? And that's a constant worry. And now it has to switch. So I find mentally I have to prepare the body. Is this really what you want? Are you actually ready for this? Because your whole life you've been anti getting pregnant, right? Mm. You do bring up such a great point, though, because I remember being terrified. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't have to take kids to my 30s. So I need to just, but that is, um, I think that's why we have so many problems with people getting pregnant, right? It's because they're, yeah. it's just such this mental. That and men. I mean, no one talks about men, but 40 to 50% of infertility is from the man's side. Yeah, why don't we talk huge. about that? I don't know because no one does because men can't do anything wrong. They, oh even even when you tell them that there's so much obviously that it's an ego thing. You mm -hmm. know, men are much more hurt by this, I find, and they have a much harder time dealing with it. And often it's hard for me as a doctor because often I see the woman blaming herself from the beginning for mm -hmm. two years has had all these invasive tests or uterus or ovaries or fallopian tubes and scanned and all these blood draws. And I'm like, there is nothing wrong with you. Has anyone done a sperm analysis? And we do a sperm analysis and guess what? The sperm is sticky. They're not swimming. They have two heads. Their count is low. They have low testosterone. These are some, not all. Some people have all of them. And that's 40 to 50%. So that is a huge number. It's not one or two or 10. So that's almost one out of two couples. And this is on the rise. So that's why I created my program called Trimester Zero for couples. And it's for, we are in this together. It's not, oh, I'll take a prenatal. I'll change my diet. I'll stop having plastic water bottles. And I will make, I'll clean up my makeup and I won't go to the nail salon because it's toxic and these things. And then the men just smoke weed, drink, you know, eat whatever they want and their sperm is inflamed and there's inflammation and that's causing the issue. So I, I like to educate both couples and say like, you guys both, the men have it so easy. Every three months they get a new batch. Us, we already got our whole batch from, you know, when we were 13 and we had to preserve them as much as we can to make them stay good. So for us, we're complex. We got estrogen and progesterone and thyroid and cortisol and all these things. Whereas for the guys, it's like just three months, just do this for 72 days, um, 90 days. And then you're good after that. Fine. Go do whatever you want. But there isn't always that willingness. And it's hard. It's hard to educate because they're told often, oh, this is, don't worry, your diet has nothing to do with your sperm. Oh, you can smoke marijuana. It does not affect your sperm. And it's not true. It does. Alcohol, it affects everything you put in your body. Of course, how come it, for us it affects everything, but for you it doesn't? So yeah, I'm really glad that you, I'm just so glad you said this, like, you know, because people don't talk about this. No, they don't. And I didn't even think about this. I didn't talk about this. When I got pregnant and I had an unhealthy kid, even then, even at that time, I still blamed myself. I still thought it was me. I still thought, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't eating clean enough, maybe, or maybe it was the mold I cleaned up in the bathroom. And 
I didn't think that, you know, my husband at the time smoked a little bit here and there. Like I was like, oh, it's not a, it's not a lot. It's just like maybe one per week. That's not a lot. There's people that smoke all the time and they have healthy kids. So that's what we do. We look for the opposite to invalidate what we're trying to say. Or the guys will say, well, I know so-and-so, he drinks and smokes weed and he has eight kids. So that can't be true. And it's like, well, you're different. You have problems. And who, who says that those eight kids are healthy or they're going to stay healthy when they're 40, 50, 60, right? So the, there's always consequences, but it's just about understanding, are you a team? Like, cause it's not gonna get easier once you have kids. I don't know if you have kids, but it, things get harder. You know, things don't necessarily get easier. So if at the beginning you're not on the same team and saying, honey, what do you need? And then you're saying, what do you need? We're in this together. Let's do our education. Let's learn what we need to do. Let's make lifestyle changes. Let's better this so that when we have kids, we already got the foundation down, you know, and that's what I love. I love when couples start learning, okay, what's an anti-inflammatory meal like? Can you tell me? I don't know. And then now they're like, oh, this is easy. This is delicious. And then I know they're going to make that for their kids. That makes me happy. Mm, love that. Yeah, because that's, um, I've told people that too, because don't you have to prepare like a, at least a year for your body? Oh, at for least one? three months. Well, well, I'll take, I'll take three months, but okay. six months is even better. A yeah. year is amazing. I mean, a year is for like the A plus students, mm -hmm. but sometimes I have patients who are 42. We don't have a year, you know, oh, they're yeah, 43, they're 41 and their egg reserve is low and the men are older. Like they might be 50, they might be 48. So I can't tell them and I'm not going to tell them, give me a year, let's detox and balance your hormones. And no, usually at that time we start and mm -hmm. we start thinking, let's eat like you're pregnant. Let's pretend you're pregnant, you know, because usually that's when people make all the changes. As soon as you get that pregnancy, it's amazing how a woman completely is like, okay, I can't do that. I can't do that. But before then, somehow we think it's okay. So I, I always say, pretend you are pregnant and you will probably cut that alcohol out and not have that piece of chocolate as much and work out more and mentally nest, you know, that nesting phase where you're just being instead of doing. Moms these days, including myself, we're like type A, we're ambitious, we're working, we're busy, we have like the longest to-do list, and our grandparents and moms didn't have that. You know, they, they usually had one job. We have like five jobs. And so that we call that yang energy in mm -hmm. Chinese medicine. It's that go, go, go. And the female reproductive organs don't like that because when you're in that sympathetic, there's a line in front of you mode. It says she can't handle having a baby right now. So I'm going to shut down this pathway and we are going to go into survival mode, right? Which is the cortisol pathway, the stress hormone pathway. And so often it's that, you know, because when they stop trying, what happens now that stress goes down and the body's like, okay, she's relaxed now. Let's go. Mm. I've had so many couples try three IVFs, six IVFs, and then they see me and then they get pregnant because, and they'll at that time start looking for, you know, an adoption or a sperm donor or an egg donor. And it's amazing how many babies we have from that period because now they actually let go of an attachment. And that's very important because I often teach a mother does not mean you have to carry your own kid for nine months. A mother is a mother. A mother is so much more than caring and just being pregnant. Look at Mother Teresa. Like she's mm -hmm. our prime example of a mother. 
a mother is someone who loves someone unconditionally takes care of them you know and if you truly are attached to being a mother then let's get you to be a mother and so that makes them really think and let go of the stress of you're right yeah um, do i just want to be a mother or do i want to be pregnant you know why am i so attached to whatever mm. the attachment is because that's what causes the disappointment and the anxiety you know when we have these expectations and you start looking around and now with social media you see all your friends pregnant and their baby shower and their balloons popping with blue or pink and that it hurts whereas i didn't have that around at that time thank god because you know i had a miscarriage and if i had seen all that it would have been really hard so it, the society doesn't help so at that time i always say like just go on social media less you know if you're having a hard time and you're watching things and it's not serving your higher good you are in self-destructive mode why are you doing that let it go mm. i'm glad you said that because i've noticed more and more people taking social media breaks and i think that is so important yeah i'm gonna be off for a week next week so <laughs> yeah it's important to do that but it's mm -hmm. amazing at that time when the feelings i get there is a little bit of anxiety because i'm so used to it it's a habit you know and it's like I, this fear of missing out like what's going on you know am i mm -hmm. missing out on something and it's like wow where did this begin when did you become this way <laughs> right the yeah, best time i ever right. had was i went to cuba for new year's uh, a couple of years ago by myself and there's like no reception there like you can't use your cell phone so you're actually forced to not call anyone no text no nothing and it was the best week of my life and i realized when i came back home and i started looking at instagram again the energy you don't know again it's like the elimination diet when you don't cut something out and reintroduce it you don't know what it's like and seeing the quotes even the good quotes that usually right now we love them we're like oh that's a great quote oh that sounds so good that's what actually messed me up because i realized i care so much about what people are teaching but I, we all know this inside, like we are love. We don't need to keep mm -hmm. reading these amazing quotes by Oprah and Tony Robbins and all these fancy, they all sound great, but it actually takes you away from you. And I realized something I never would have realized because I always thought the opposite. I would always like save these quotes and I had all these, everyone else's quotes. But during that week, I realized, you know what? I have my own quotes and I don't get to listen to that when I'm not quiet and I'm not away from that. So I hope that helps your listeners just realize that you are all beautiful. We're all born with love and that's it. We are nothing else, but life conditions us to take attachment to things. And if we can start detaching and, and not wanting anything other than ourselves and be content with that, we can have much more peace and contentment in life. Mm, yes. Okay. Is that your final takeaway? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a struggle, even for me, you know, being in a relationship and when it doesn't work out, when I had a breakup, it was hard because mm. I realized, oh, there was an attachment there. Of course, now that that didn't work out, I'm sad, but how can I fill that void? How can I be my own person that I marry, you know, first? And I, and it's been a struggle because that's not how I was raised. You know, I got a lot of praise growing up. And to me, praise equals love. When I would play the piano and do an amazing concert and everyone would clap and be like, oh my God, I'm so proud of you. That to me was love. And when people would say, you're so beautiful, you're so pretty at a young age, and people would give me praise for that, I thought, okay, my looks 
when everyone compliments that equals love. So there's a lot of things that I realize now that, oh, this is dysfunctional. This is not how I want my kids. So I'll tell my kids who are like, mommy, look, mommy, look. I'm like, no, don't depend on me to say that was amazing. You know, because if you over-exaggerate, then they learn that the world has to be that way too as an adult. And so, yeah, learning to, to be alone, especially now with quarantine, it's been amazing for me, these three months to do that kind of work and just learn to love spending time with me, you know, and not wanting to, to necessarily, because I'm very social and I love connection, um, but this, this downtime and being inward and releasing anything that's stuck from the past is also important. And yeah, I hope, I hope that people realize that, that they have everything they crave inside them. We just have to learn, how do I get that out? How do I tap into that? Mm, yes, definitely. It's a really good book. I just happened to be here. <laughs> um, it's called Mindfulness, Self-Compassion. Uh, this is an amazing workshop that's offered online, actually, and in person. I took this years ago, but I took it again this year. It is so, so good. It changed my life. Um, learning to love yourself. I, I think if there was universities and we could get bachelors in self-love, the world would be a different place because every time we hurt someone, every time we get angry, every time we say something mean to someone, it is our own way that we speak to ourselves. So mm -hmm. it's all the reflection of who you are. <laughs> yeah. Spend a week or eight weeks in this case taking this course to learn who am I with myself? How do I speak to myself? And you just realize, oh my God, you are your own worst enemy. Like mm -hmm. you are so mean to yourself and so critical. Like we would never speak the way we speak to ourselves, to other people, to our best friends. And learning that, so I'm, so I'm trying to teach my kids that, you know, like self-compassion, like be gentle with yourself because then you are that reflection, whoever you are, then you will mirror that to the world. So it starts with you. Mm. That's my final point. <laughs> I love that. That's so great. Okay, so where can everybody find you? My website is aimforwomen.com. So advancing integrative medicine, that's what AIM stands for. But I'm on Instagram a lot, Dr. Demary, D-E-M-E-R-I. On Facebook, Dr. Demary. And my courses, I have two courses, trimesterzerocourse.com. Right now, we're actually in the middle of another 21-day um, liver detox I do called Clear Talks. So we'll be announcing the next time, but I, I only take a small group and we do this detox together. And not only do we detox physically, we do a lot of this mind body work to let go of toxic emotions, toxic relationships. And it's my favorite. Mm, yes. Love, love that. I'll post your links below. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank this is you. So Everybody good talking to you. To DM either of us if you have any questions. Yes. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and I will talk with you later. Bye.